Hey, it's great seeing all of you this evening. Thanks, Boaz. A little table talk. We normally have a, a pulpit that's not really a pulpit. It's just like a square wood thing, but they weren't back there. So I had a little, I was like, what do I do with my stuff? Uh, <clears throat> great seeing all of you. There were a bunch of new faces that I saw earlier when people were hanging out. I'm Thomas Nelson. I'm one of the pastors on staff at Christ Covenant. And uh, this, I, somebody asked me just a minute ago, how long have I been here, like at the church? Here, locally, I'm like embarrassingly local. I've like always lived here. Uh, and so like Heather also is embarrassingly local. Uh, we're just like, we're here. But on staff, it's been one year this coming Sunday. I mean, I can't believe it. November 15th. In fact, it was a year ago tonight that Jason brought me in, and uh, Jason's our lead pastor, and he, he used to lead Tuesday nights, and he said, uh, I'm going to introduce somebody to you tonight. And I had already come and taught a couple of Tuesday nights, but Jason introduced me as the guy who was going to take over Tuesdays, and it just seems like a blur. Um, part of that literally was a blur because I shot myself in the head with a nail gun. But like other than that, like it really was kind of a, it's been a really fast year. Um, and I just, I'm grateful for all of you. COVID did not stop you. And uh, like just continuing to gather and yet being respectful if you're gonna go home and see family and those kinds of things. I just appreciate all the changes and the, uh, the, the flexibility you've had over this past year. I'm really excited to see what God's going to do this coming year. Uh, we did do our first, or my first ski trip with you last year. We're doing another one in February, and uh, we've got about 30 spots left, so sign up for that. Um, Friendsgiving, two weeks from tonight. If you're in town, we will not meet here. That's Thanksgiving week. We'll be at, at Heather and I's house out in, uh, in the barn, and it'll be a lot of fun. That's going to be great. Definitely do that. This Sunday, if you're like, I've never been on a mission trip, or I would like to go on a mission trip, or I'm thinking about a mission trip, or I just want to travel because I haven't been able to, I'll take any reason. Just come Sunday morning after the 11 o'clock service. We're going to meet in here and have a little info meeting about a Peru trip. Just so you know, that is a trip we can do in one week of vacation. You'll have to take a full week of vacation, but we can leave on a Friday evening. That's a midnight. It's like a 6 p.m. flight. You get to Peru at about midnight. You have a full week of doing ministry. At the end, we'll go to Machu Picchu for a couple of days, which is pretty fun. We'll, we'll like climb Huayna Picchu and all that stuff. It'll look like it's all the photos you've ever seen if you've never been there. Um, like it's, it's incredible. Uh, and then we'll work with church planters out in Cusco. We'll go up into the mountains and work with church planters. It'll just be a really great trip. So I would encourage you to, uh, to come to that info meeting on Sunday. Um, last but not least, you may see Brandon Lopez walking around with a video camera. It's not because we're real flashy. It's because he's trying to capture some video for some stuff that we're putting together for the church. So Brandon wants you to ignore him. I'm going to try my best to ignore him. Not because we don't love you. We love you, Brandon. Do you know Brandon? Brandon who does like all the sound all the time. This is Brandon. Brandon and his lovely wife Ansley have two little boys. How old is Kai? And you've got a two-month-old? Four? I'm telling you, this year was a blur. That's right. All right. So we appreciate every, so every Tuesday night when Brandon is here, his sweet wife is like wrestling those boys to bed and like taking care of everything, and he's just out here serving. So we appreciate you, Brandon. 
Hey, I'm going to jump in to the deep end tonight on the subject of friendship. We could spend weeks on this subject. We could exhaust it. But instead, I've chosen to go the hard route and cover the whole thing in one evening, which means I'm going to do everything except tell you how to be a friend. So if you're like, he'd never told me how to be a friend. I knew that when I was prepping. I was like, we need like a month's worth of Tuesdays for that. So let me pray for us. We're going to dig in. Father, thank you so much for your word. I just thank you that you tell us so many things in scripture about you. And as a result of, of us knowing you, we know how to live in this life to honor you and also be most fulfilled. So Lord, speak to us tonight through your word about this idea that you invented called friendship. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn to 2 Timothy, the last chapter in 2 Timothy. If you've got a paper Bible and you're new to Bible study, it's going to be near the end of the Bible. If you get to Revelation, if you get to Hebrews, any of those, just go backwards just a little bit and you'll get to one of the Timothys there. 2 Timothy 4, the last chapter of this book. These are really some of the, probably the last words that Paul, the apostle, ever wrote. So he's, this is like the last thing he's ever going to have recorded. And it's, it's super important. He knew he was being poured out like a drink offering, he says. He knew his time was short. And so he was very pointed in what he wrote. And not a lot of, mis there, were, there were no mistakes. There were no wasted words. Obviously, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this and used Paul's personality. So we're going to skip actually the first few verses in chapter 4. We're going to come back to those next week, Lord willing. And we're going to start in verse 9. So look at 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has also gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke, is, uh, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I, I love this line. He says, bring my jacket. It's getting cold. He says, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. And then he goes on and he says, and by the way, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. In my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And you might look at this passage and you might think, how are you going to talk about friendships from this passage? Look at the opening line. Paul, at the end of his life, starts this opening line by saying, hey, Here's a whole bunch of instructions, and you should know, Demas is no longer saying that he's a Christian. And then he goes on and he says, and so-and-so's not here, and so-and-so's not here. Mark is the only buddy that I have left with me. And, and he's talking to Timothy, and he's like, hey, Timothy, bring me some stuff. And Timothy, what you read between the lines is, Timothy, I can't wait to hang out with you too. 
Paul has understood at the end of his life that there's something really, really sweet about a few good friends and something really, really sad about a friend that used to be a friend. And that's where we're going to dig in tonight. We're going to look at these kind of two big movements, and that is, what is the Christian's responsibility with other Christians in friendship, and what is the Christian's responsibility with those who are not Christians? And then there's a blurry middle. What about the people that used to be Christian? Now, before you start thinking, his theology is really strange. He's saying that you can lose your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. I just think it's easier to just say that than to get into all the what ifs. Were they saved? Were they not saved? Uh, Did they really know the Lord? Did they not? Let's face it. There are plenty of people who have deconstructed their faith, and they would tell you, I used to believe that. And you saw them in church, or you saw them in the youth group, or you used to be, you used to bring them here, and now they're like somewhere else. And so there's the messy middle of it's not being friends with a Christian, it's not being friends with somebody who's not a Christian, it's like somebody who used to be a Christian, and what is that whole world like? Because that's where Demas is. Demas deserted me, and Paul says, why? Because he's in love with this present world. There's a great, there's several great quotes. I can claim no originality tonight. Too many people who are much smarter and much wiser have written, and much more dead, have written like lasting lines about friendship. And so I'll I'll just read you this one line. It's from C.S. Lewis. I've got it in our slides here. C.S. says, friendship is unnecessary. It's like philosophy. It's like art. It has no survival value. What a great line. Here he says it. Rather, it is one of those things which gives value to survival. There's something beautiful about the voice of a friend when you're in a dark place. Just today, I was texting um, on WhatsApp with our friends in Zimbabwe, and we found out that our friend Chris is very, very sick. Um, He's under hospice care. And so we were messaging with Chris, our Zimbabwean friend, and, uh, and then I was messaging with Norma, his wife, and uh, we've done mission trips over there for 10 years. We've become really good friends with them. They stay with us when they come in town from, uh, from Zimbabwe to, uh, to, the, to the U.S. when they do missions conferences. And anyway, there was just something sweet in exchanging those messages back and forth. And I hope for just a brief moment, Chris and Norma felt like they weren't alone. He's reading my messages, I'm reading his messages, she's reading my messages, I'm reading her messages. There's just something really sweet in that moment that only happens in those beautiful friendships that kind of test, that pass the test of time, they passed, they they passed proximity. There's just something powerful about those. Proverbs 17, 17. If you're going to write stuff down, this is one you want to write down. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. Anybody in the room have a brother? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, great. I have a brother as well. Anybody in the room, this is where you're going to be very vulnerable. Anybody in the room who just raised their hand and said they had a brother would call somebody else to tell them the most personal thing going on. 
Yeah, like you have a brother for adversity. If like uh, somebody was coming after you and you had to call somebody who you're like, they're, they're obligated. Like call your brother. They have to help you. But a friend loves at all times, not just for in adverse times. Like a friend loves at all times. There's something really powerful about this idea of friendship. Look, within God's plan, he established friendship early. All right, within God's plan, he established friendship early. In Genesis 131, the last verse in, chapter, in cha- the first chapter of the Bible, he, God said, man, everything's going great except poor Adam. There's like a couple of donkeys running around and a couple of zebra, as the Zimbabweans would say. Um, there's, like a, there's like some lions over there in the pride. There's a troop of baboons. We've got like the whole mix going on here. But then there's poor Adam. Maybe God even gave him like a couple of dogs. And Adam's like, I love my dogs. They have a hard time communicating with me. And like, I don't know how the whole thing played out. I'm not sure what happened. Obviously, none of us were there. But there was a moment when the Lord said, I have a surprise for you. You're very, very sleepy. And Adam falls asleep and he wakes up and he sees, whoa, man. Like he sees Eve and he's like, whoa, man. Like this is awesome. Like, whoa, man. And then he's like, you must have taken that. You can have it. And, uh, and so then all of a sudden, the days of creation go from God saying, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, to once he made Adam a suitable helper, and he put Adam and Eve together, and the first friendship was formed, he changes the line, and he says, and it was very good. The Lord loves friendship. He designed it. And he said, it's very good. And then, not only did he, did he design it, but he, he kind of made Adam want it. In Genesis 2.20, that's where we see kind of the story unfold. And in Genesis 2.20, we see Adam lonely for the first time. And so chapter 1 spells out the bones. Chapter 2 gives a little more detail. And that's where we see he's lonely. And it's like God showed him, it like kind of gave him like a little bit of longing to where he knew like, I need a friend. You've all had that longing. In fifth grade, I went to one school. In sixth grade, I went not only to middle school, but to like a public middle school. I went to a private school before that. When I walked in the first day, I had a longing, like, I need a friend here. Everybody has their friends, like, I need a friend. And when I finally made some friends, I was like, this is good. Like, school stayed school. But everything got better when I finally found that friend. And so not only did God design friends, but he actually gave us an order of how Christians are to prioritize their friends. So do this for me. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians 6, God's going to give us an order, again through the Apostle Paul, and I didn't realize this until much later in life that this was like actually a thing. But did you know, if one of you comes up to me, And you said, Thomas, I'm in crisis. And somebody else came up to me and said, Thomas, I'm in crisis. And I can only meet today at 2 p.m. And so if I have two of you that come up to me and you're both like in crisis and it's the same crisis and I'm like, oh my goodness, but it's very personal and I can't meet with both of you at the same time. We can't have like a group crisis counseling. It's like individual crisis counseling. Do you know how I make a decision? I see if one of you is a member of the church. 
And that might sound like harsh or cold or whatever, but I have to have like, I have to be able to make a decision. When they're getting the refugees out of countries, they have a prioritization. Like there's prioritizations all over the place and God actually gave us a prioritization on who and how we should look after our friends. And so, take a look at Galatians 6. In Galatians 6, Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, verse 2, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And then we go on a little bit further. Look at verse 9. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. So Paul says, look, I'm going to give you a little instructions on Christian friendship and relationships, then I'm going to give you some more instruction, then I'm going to come back to it. And he says, hey, so then, if we have opportunity, do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. If you're looking in Galatians 6.10, that word especially is where we get our prioritization. Christians are to look out for one another before they look out for the people in the world. Now, this is a really interesting thing. This is why some of you are hitting a roadblock with some of your closest friendships, because some of your closest friendships are not within Christ. And you've prioritized them above those in Christ, and you're actually going outside of God's plan for how you are to first prioritize your relationships. So first, a Christian is to look out for another Christian. Now, this is really interesting. You would say, well, why, why, why should we look out for other Christians first? Well, the, re- the real reason is because we have an eternal destiny together. We're going to be with Christ forever in heaven. And so part of this is a prep course for that. Also, Jesus said in John chapter 17, if you want to turn, we're going to flip back and forth a bunch. In John 17, Jesus prays a very powerful prayer for us. If you look in verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's praying for us right now. It's really cool to think in John 17, at the end of Jesus' earthly life, he's praying for you and I right now in 2021. And so, he says, that they may be one Jesus, just pray that you and I would be one. Now, if we are one, then John here on the front row, John and I should look out for each other. Jesus prayed for us to be one. Well, that's just not going to magically happen. John and I have to work on that. And Jesus has just helped prioritize. John and I are one. And so if something arises between us, we better cut it out because we're supposed to be one. And he goes on and he says uh, that they may be one just as you, Father, and I are one, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And there's the reason. 
when Christians take care of each other and Christians love each other well, the rest of the world looks and they say, I don't get it. I don't know why you two are friends. You have nothing other than like your church stuff in common. And all of a sudden, we start, the world starts to see, man, God has bridged people together that would otherwise never be together. Have you ever looked around? Have you ever been at a, at a, a, a young adult gathering or a Sunday morning event or worship service, and you look around and you're like, this is kind of funny. I don't think we would be friends if it wasn't for this. That's a great thought to have because that's what happens in Christ. We look around and we're like, oh, I mean, like, she went to Alabama and she went to Auburn, and look at them sitting right next to each other, right there on the second row, he and she, right there. That's beautiful. Look, and they're friends. This is so wonderful. Only in Christ in the South can this happen. <laughs> they may not be friends during, during Thanksgiving at the end of it, but whatever. It's fine. It's just for like a day. Uh, <clears throat> so there's this idea of Christian prioritization. And the reason is because we're family. I don't know, are you familiar with uh, the fact that there is no marriage in heaven? If you were curious, Matthew 22, uh, Matthew 22, 30, uh, yeah, just 30, not 33, that's what I was going to say. 22, 30. In Matthew 22, 30, Jesus answers the question. He says, the, these guys say to him, so this man has a, has a brother, and the brother, or this, this brother has a wife, and the brother dies, and his other brother is, ma- is to marry the wife so that they can carry on the family name, and he dies, and so the other brother marries the wife, and then he dies. So in heaven, which one's going to be her husband? And Jesus said, in heaven, there will be neither marriage nor giving in marriage. Nobody's going to go there married, and nobody's going to get married while they're there. Hear me on this. This is like profound. Friendship is eternal. Marriage is temporary. So for everybody that's just like, man, if I could just get married, I would be happy. Well, Jesus is going to take that away from you. So like, wrong. We won't need marriage in heaven. We will have the great husband will still need friendship. And that's one of the reasons that Satan attacks it so much. I mean, there's a reason that you could name a show Friends and it lasts 10 seasons. On the reunion, it was a great line. The, the two, uh, I may have watched most all the episodes, um, but on the, just as like a social experiment. Um, and so, like, um, but on the reunion, which I may have also watched as a social experiment, the writers for the show were interviewed and they said, oh, we remember being in our 20s and living in New York. And the more they talked, I was like, this is like every Tuesday. And so they were like, they talked, they described their lives like so many of you right now are living your lives. And it was just like, it was amazing to hear them because I was like, this is all our people. And so they said, you know, we realized that when we were in our 20s and 30s living in the city, our friends were the family we chose. And I thought, that is a great line. The friends are the family that you choose, and the Lord is telling you, you need to choose Christian family first, because we're going to be together forever. And when you love each other, right? The rest of the world looks, and they see what you have, and there's a good chance they'll want what you have. 
That's also a reason that it gets so torn up so often. And so in that, he gives us a lot of descriptors. I'll just throw, I'm going to throw out a few verses and just talk about them real quick. Galatians 6, 1 through 2, one that we just read. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Yeah, you can just take a picture of that with your phone if you want. Um, uh, Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. Uh, there are several, there's just a bunch of them that are up there. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. God gives us a whole bunch of commandments when it comes to Christian friendships, and this is just a drop in the bucket. But one of them is one of the verses we just read. For instance, um, let's say, who do we want to pick on over here? Uh, well, I don't know. Let's pick on a boy. Is Hux over here? Hux. All right, there we go. In the back. All right, there we go. If, if, if Hux sees me like going to the liquor store after this and like not drinking like one or two, but maybe like 10 or 12. And I'm like hop, about to hop back in the car and Hux is like, there's not one right thing about this. Hux is supposed to come to me and he's supposed to say, Thomas, hey man, like things, are, are you okay? Things must be going pretty bad. And he's supposed to come to me gently and yet he's supposed to hold me accountable like, hey man, you, there's like, I don't even know where to start. Like you've done a lot of things wrong here, but like you're really drunk and we should probably have this conversation tomorrow and you're trying to drive and like, and you just led a Bible study. Like there's a lot of things wrong here, Thomas. But in that rebuke, I should know that he's being the hands and feet and voice of Christ to me. That's Galatians 6, 1 and 2. It's really hard to do that with somebody outside of the faith. It won't even make any sense. According to Matthew 18, Jesus says that Huck should come to me and have that same conversation. And if I don't listen to him, if I'm like, you get out of here, I'm fine, and I can do what I want, and leave me alone, he should get somebody else. Maybe he gets Colin, they come over to me, and they're both like, hey, Thomas, it's the two of us, and we need to talk to you about that thing. And Jesus says, if I listen to them, they've won their brother back. But then he says, if I don't listen to them, they should take it before the whole church. And it's not to shame me. The reason Jesus had taken it before the whole church is because he wants me back so bad into the fellowship of believers that I will be maybe convicted, whether maybe I'm embarrassed, maybe I'm convicted, whatever, but I realize like, yo, you guys aren't trying to shame me. You actually care about me and you actually love me and you actually like don't want me like drunk at the liquor store after Tuesday night and then trying to drive home. What a weird story I created. But like, like you actually care about me. You want better for me. And you want me back in the fellowship. There's like a heavy weight with Christian responsibility and friendships. And the problem is we so often just tell other people what we saw. That's not Christian friendship. That's Christian cowardice and gossip and backbiting. And with Christianity, we have permission to enter each other's lives in very personal and private ways even. Like my private life is actually open for business for you. You should be able to, to ask me any question as a brother or sister in Christ and I should be able to answer it. And that's why if the world, like if we really live like this, the world would look and they would be like, 
I don't know what you guys have. I don't know what's in the Kool-Aid. I don't know what the caterer's putting in, like, the meatloaf, but, like, I'm there. I'm in. Because I live in the shadows, and I live in the world that cuts each other's knees out from under them, and if I could just, like, be me and be okay, then, like, I'm in. You know, the blurry part is when I tell those guys what they can do with themselves, and I tell you, church, what you can do with yourselves, and I go live my life. Then I become Demas. And that's a heartbreaking place to be. When I was 18 years old, I was in the mountains of North Georgia, and I was with my girlfriend. She was in the passenger seat, and her best friend was in the back seat. It was like, I don't even know how that all worked, because it was an S10. You remember the Chevy S10s that had the, the extended cab with the seat that folded down from inside the door? Like, I don't know if you ever sat in one of those. They weren't comfortable. But anyway, like, so the three of us are driving through the North Georgia mountains, and I look over to the side, and we were like, that's our youth pastor and his secretary. And we were in the middle of nowhere in North Georgia. And I'm an 18-year-old kid. Now, we love this guy. Like, we love this guy. They hadn't been at this church very long. He was, like, super dynamic and just an amazing guy. We loved him. Um, and so, anyway, his, it, like, there they are, right there in the car. And then they sped up and left. And so... We all said, well, we, we had to go see. It was like, was that really them? And so we sped up, and they pulled off on some weird road, and we pulled off on the same road, and we're like, this is getting more and more weird, and you're, you're just hoping what you saw isn't what you thought you saw, and then you're like, but then we hope the people we're chasing will forgive us um, if it's not them. We got all, we all got back on. It's where 575 becomes 515, or 515 if you're going south becomes 575. And we get back on that stretch of road, and there they are. And she's now got her seat laid back, and she has on a ball cap and sunglasses. It was like something out of a movie. She was facing this direction, like looking away from us. And it was definitely him. And we were just crushed. Like, the first time in my life I've ever wanted to throw up because I felt so crushed by something a friend had done. And we get back to the church, and I get on the, the payphone. That'll tell you what year we're talking here, with a quarter. And, uh, and I used, I called the phone number that I had memorized. And, uh, and so, like, I called their home phone. I don't know if I memorized it or not, but we had their home phone. And his wife answers the phone, and I said, hey, um, so-and-so, where's, where's so-and-so? We're at the church. And she said, oh, he's at the church all day today for a meeting. And then we knew. Like, this is as bad as we thought. To make a really terrible long story short, all I wanted was for him to say he was sorry. All his wife wanted was for him to say he was sorry. There was no one that I was aware of that was on a witch hunt. There was no one that was trying to crucify him. There was no one that just wanted to, like, pin him to the wall. Nobody wanted any of that. It was the purest example I have seen of a bunch of Christians banding together and saying, we get it. 
you messed up, she messed up, There's, it's going to be a long road to fix this, and you're going to lose your job here, but like we're, we're for you, we'll help you, we'll pay for stuff, like we want you whole, we want your family whole, and he walked off, never to be heard from again. And to me, that's the hardest, the hardest relationship there is. Somebody who would say, I was in the fellowship of believers and I've walked away from it and you can't bring me back. It's the one category of person that I see in scripture that you treat differently than almost anyone else. Jesus says you treat them like a tax, collect- a tax collector or a sinner, but they also have a history. That's a person that I hope you never encounter. And I hope if you ever start to walk away and your friends in Christ begin to call you back, that you swallow your pride and you own up and you say, I blew it and I'm willing to make amends and let me back in. Those are the people that are hardest to reach. A person that's not a Christian, like, that's a great one. It's, there's, I mean, Scripture's clear about that, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you about that in just one second, but what I would encourage you, if you've got one of those people in your life who has walked away, you don't know what's really going on in their life, and is it okay if I tell them a little bit about your college time, sweetheart? Okay, great. She said, that's great. Heather was a wild woman. Um, Heather had a really good time from like middle school up through like middle college. She had like a great time. Um, she, uh, she was like living La Vida Loca. And, uh, and there's like a whole long story with that. And, and if you talk to her today, you would think Heather's probably like pure as the driven snow. Like she's never known evil. Like she's like the little monkeys, like, you know, like the whole thing. Like, um, and that's the Lord's redemptive work in her life. But there was a point in her life when Heather was like the way I just described that youth pastor. But there was a group of people, namely her parents and their friends, who never stopped praying for her. And one day, sitting alone in her apartment, no Tuesday night gathering, no Sunday morning gathering, sitting alone in her apartment, the Lord visited her in the sweetest way and simply asked her the question in her heart, Heather, when were you happy? And it was after a night of partying and doing all kinds of stuff that would normally, people would tell you, would make you happy. And she answered the Lord back that night and said, when I was nine, when I gave my life to Christ, and cold turkey, she walked away from that life. And the Lord gave her some great Christian friends. And she was welcomed back with open arms by all those folks who had been praying for her. And so it's real sticky on how to treat that person, but it's not sticky on the hope we have for that person. We hope and we pray continually they'll come back. And I I encourage you in the next few minutes as we wrap up and we have our prayer team over there, there's probably somebody who hasn't been prayed for in a while that you need to revisit and say, let's pray for so-and-so that they'll come back to the Lord. And then for non-Christians, 
I'll, I'll go over this just real quick with you. Um, in middle school, in high school, in youth group, maybe even in college, I would hear people use verses that are good verses. They're verses of warning, like uh, Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. And people would say, don't be friends with people that aren't Christians. You can witness to them, but don't be friends. And like if you were a youth group kid, they would be like, it was like a trick question the youth pastor would throw out, do you go to parties on Friday night? And like the cool youth group kids were like, yeah, but only to like tell them about Jesus. And uh, you were like, that's a lie. And... Uh, <laughs> And then like 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good character. So don't hang out with bad company because your good character will be corrupted. 2 Corinthians 6, 14, what fellowship has lightness with darkness? You have no fellowship. Do not be unequally yoked. And so like all those verses combined, and I developed a theology of, of projecthood. And what I mean is um, if, if you were not a Christian, you were my project but you weren't my friend. Now, how appealing is that? I was basically like an Amway salesman for Jesus. Like, so you're not a Christian. You're clearly a bad person. How would you like to not go to hell? Like, that's super appealing, right? Like, people were like, how about you go to hell? Like, you know, it's kind of that kind of thing, you know? Like, there was like real, like, all right, this is not good. And so <clears throat> Heather actually had to help me understand, hey, what we do for non-Christians, our intimate relationships have a cap I cannot share with you the fellowship of the Holy Spirit if you're not a Christian. I will not be with you for all eternity with my other brothers and sisters in Christ in that friendship forever. So there's like a relational cap, but I can still really like you. And we, can st we still like, we probably both eat food and stuff, like we can hang out. Maybe we have some hobbies that we would like to do together and we can be friends. Here's, here's what Jesus was accused in Luke 7. He was accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They said basically John the Baptist was a prude is kind of how they described him. He didn't do anything. And Jesus, Jesus is like this guy with like super loose morals. He's like friends with all the tax collectors and sinners. And so it was kind of like, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. I do think that since Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, since he said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven, what's the point of still being alive as a Christian and having no non-Christian friends? You might as well just be in heaven. The reason you're still here is to have influence with the ones who are not yet Christians. And the reason sermons and pastors and all those things that have come your way in books and whatever else that have warned you about being friends of the world is because so many Christians are simply thermometers. They're going to adjust to whatever the temperature of the room is. But you and I as believers, we're called to be thermostats. Jesus was a thermostat. He walked in the room and set the temperature. He knew when he needed to walk out because he might be tempted to sin, but he didn't. He never sinned. He must have walked out at the right time, but he was a thermostat, not a thermometer. And that's what we are to be. Look, think about this. 
if Jesus, if he had not been a friend of sinners, where would you and I be today? This is Paul talking in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord gave himself for you and I while we were not a part of the family. And we ought to take note of that. I do want to, there's so much more we could do. We need to do a whole, a whole few weeks on friendship. I want to just give two more thoughts. One's another C.S. Lewis quote, because some of you are like, look, being friends with people is great, but it sure does beat you up. Let me give you a quick alternative. C.S. Lewis said, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure keeping it if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Some of you need to let some people go who have hurt you. And you need to realize you signed up to be hurt when you signed up to follow Christ. And some of you need to stop looking to other people to be that best friend. You've read or you've heard or you've thought about Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and you're looking for that perfect friend and if you're in Christ, he's already found you. Look, there's only one who can satisfy the words of Proverbs 17, 17. There's only one who is the friend who loves at all times. It's the one who gave himself up for you while we were enemies of him. You have the perfect friend, and his name is Christ. The problem is that he's invisible and often quiet, but it makes him no less real. And my hope and encouragement to you is that as we worship these next couple of songs that you'll call out to him and you'll say, I need you to be my best friend. I know you've offered me friendship in John chapter 15. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. But maybe he feels far off. There's no greater friend than the one we're going to spend eternity with. And when you find a good friend here on earth, a believer, you're just getting a glimpse into what he has in store for us there. I still think the question that Brendan Manning said in one of his early sermons is so true. 
Brenda Manning said that when we get to heaven, he thinks the Lord's gonna ask everybody one question. And he said, the question's gonna be, did you really believe that I loved you? Jesus sitting across from me saying, did you really believe that I wanted to be your friend? And Brenna Manning, who passed away a few years ago, said most Christians are going to stand before the Lord and say, no, I didn't really believe that you wanted to be my friend. And he said, but the real Christians, most likely with tears in their eyes, will say, I did believe that. I believed that you loved me as I was and not as I should be because no one is as they should be. And that's why the hymn writer years ago wrote, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. He's the one that'll never let you down. And so my question as we wrap up is, do you really call him friend? Until you call him friend, you'll never really know how to be one in the first place. Lord, I just ask that you speak to us tonight. Lord, help us to appreciate the order that you've given of prioritizing believers over those who are not yet Christians so that we can show the not yet Christians what it means to be loved by you and known by you in Christian fellowship. Lord, I thank you for stories like a Heather who, of people who have walked away and folks still love them and yet share truth with them and then they came back. Father, would you give us strength to believe you want to be our friends? and to hold on to you, the perfect friend, and to be a really good friend to others. May the world see the way we love each other and know you because of it. In Christ's name, amen.